Well, last Monday night, Damar Hamlin dropped to the field motionless. We all saw it, 24 years old, super athlete, a superhero, really, if there, if there are superheroes, um, the, as fit as could be. And his heart stopped working, it stopped beating. And so did ours. 23 million people were just stunned watching that moment. And some of you have heard before in, in 1963, Bud Wilkinson, Coach Wilkinson said football is 22 boys on a field badly in need of rest and 40,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise. <laughs> but on Monday night, it seemed like it was something else. Uh, it seemed like a reminder that things can go too far. That everything has its limits. And that even if our, if our superheroes, if the su- superheroes can hit their limits, so too can any of us, right? Today we start a five-week conversation called Fried. We'll be focusing on one episode in the life of uh, a superhero of the Bible, a prophet in the ninth century. His name was Elijah. And what I want to talk with you about is what God does to restore Elijah to, to mental and emotional wholeness and, and how Jesus invites us to pursue our own mental and emotional wholeness. So just a little bit of a warning, we're going to deal with hard stuff in this series, including today we're going to mention suicide because the text is going to take us there. So if that's a problem for you, I want you to know in advance, but just know that there's realism in the scriptures, and that gives me hope. So I trust you'll find a good word today. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. If you're looking at the black book in the rack in front of you, you'll find this on page 284. I'd love everyone to navigate one way or another over to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, and just read it aloud together. Even if you're at home or listening to the radio, uh, say these words as an act of worship together. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Let's just jump right in. The first insight is that great men and women of faith experience depression. I I, want to wrestle with that. Great men and women of faith experience depression. Be clear. 
Elijah is a great man of faith. Jesus, in talking about Elijah and John the Baptist, says there's no one greater born of women than him. One of the old Scottish divines said that Elijah was a Mount Sinai of a man with a heart like a thunderstorm. And the Bible always portrays Elijah as full of faith and full of energy. St. James said he was a righteous man that when Elijah prayed, he stopped the rain for three and a half years and then he prayed it back. Wow. And in chapter 19, it follows on the heels of a story you may have heard and that is the story of the contest with the prophets of Baal. It has just happened. Elijah, this great man of God, has just called down fire from heaven on this altar and shown who the real God is. I mean, if that's not a spiritual credential, I don't know what would be. Elijah is a great man of faith. God is with him, and yet, he experiences depression. Do do you hear it in in what he says? Look look again at verse four. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. Enough. The Hebrew there could be translated too much more than I can handle, I'm done. Now this is depression by any definition. I'd say it's suicidal depression, take away my life. He lies down to die. I am no better than my ancestors. Now he probably means with that statement one of two things, it may be an expression of failure that I haven't succeeded as a prophet just in the way that my fathers had not succeeded in reviving God's people, or an expression of worthlessness, that I'm no better, I'm worth the same as my dead ancestors, maybe even envy. Now we know he's wrong as he assesses his own life, but he doesn't know that. And that is the substance of depression. Here's the man who could pray the weather, but he cannot pray away the howling pain of the deep alienation inside his own soul. Take away my life. So what I'm saying is here's a great man of faith experiencing depression. Let that sink in for a moment. Because you and I have so much stigma, so much denial around depression around mental illness, around our own unmanageable, wild and painful emotions. There's something inside of us that says it's not okay to be not okay. There's something that says when you ask me how am I doing, I have to say fine, even when I know that is not the truth. And this is true of many cultures, many faiths. We think that if we're not if we're, if we're suffering in this way, we're not doing something right, we're not believing hard enough, we're not praying hard enough, we're not thinking the right kinds of thoughts, maybe even we think the gods are punishing us in some way, but no, this is not the perspective of the Bible, I love this. Here in the Bible is a superhero of the faith with all the credentials anybody could ever hope to have terminally damaged in heart and mind. Enough is all he can say. Let that sink in. Now, 
I just want you to know, this is not an isolated case. This is not just Elijah. Listen, in Numbers 11, Moses despairs and he prays, put me to death at once. That's Moses. In Ruth 1, Naomi despairs and says, call me bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. In Psalm 88, the psalmist despairs and says, darkness is my only companion. Wow. And then just so you know, it's not just an Old Testament thing. St. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter one, he describes an unknown crisis that drives him into the same darkness. He writes, we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. That's St. Paul. Sounds like Elijah, doesn't he? So, So the Bible does not hide from the painful reality of mental and emotional struggle. It's right there, it's part of the story. It's part of life. It's part of the life of faith. So when we go through this experience, it's important that we don't put ourselves down. And when we see other people going through this experience, we don't look down on them. We all struggle in this way, maybe various degrees and times and so forth. But really what I think Elijah confronts us with is a series of questions. Here's the question I think here in this text. Do we have a theology of suffering? Do we have a theological account for the failure of our own minds? Do we have a way of finding God in our mental and emotional struggles? Do we have a God who is larger than our suffering? Questions. So, so when we're fried, if you're fried, the first step towards healing is owning the problem. Something liberating about that, just owning the problem, having the honesty and humility and courage to say, enough, I've, I've come, I've hit a limit. I've come to the end of myself. And you know what? That's important. Because great men and women of faith experience depression. So I think that's the first insight of the text. The second is this. Mental and emotional wholeness requires good boundaries. Mental and emotional wholeness requires, uh, require good boundaries. Notice this. Elijah puts a boundary between himself and harm. This is so fascinating, this text. He, he's, just to give you a little background, he's running south. That's the geography of the text. He's running south. Up in the north, there's this pagan queen, princess of Tyre, married to King Ahab, who is an Israelite himself. It's not a happy marriage. Her name is Jezebel. And Elijah's fleeing from Jezebel because she's been systematically exterminating the prophets of Israel. She's a fan of Baal. And so... Elijah said, I'm gonna put some distance between myself and harm. He starts crossing a border, crossing from Israel down into Judah. There are two sections of Israel at this time. Then hits the bottom of Judah and he crosses from a town called Beersheba into the wilderness. He's going south. He crosses borders. When the Israelites talked about their borders at that time, they would say, from Dan to Beersheba. You see that a lot in the, in the Old Testament, from Dan to Beersheba. That's because Dan is the northernmost city of Israel and Beersheba the southernmost. So when the text says he came to Beersheba and he left his servant there and then he kept going, he's going south now into the wilderness, he's crossing a border and he's putting a boundary between himself and Jezebel. 
between himself and harm. And I think this is interesting. You look at verse three again, even though he says, take my life, in verse three it says he fled for his life. There's something inside him that wants to live. And I don't know if he does this on purpose, but he puts a boundary between himself and Jezebel, and that will save his life. So when you're fried, here's the second step. The second step towards healing is getting yourself to safety. That's so important. Get yourself to safety. And I'm gonna take a moment to put two numbers on the screen. I want you to pull out your phone, take a picture of these numbers for yourself or somebody else, or write them down. Uh, These are two really important numbers. This is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can dial or text 988 from your cell phone. It's like 911, but 988, uh, it's new line and uh, we should be using it. Uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE or 7233, or you can text 88788. You text START to that number and you'll be in a private conversation. If you have thoughts of suicide, you or somebody you know, please reach out immediately. Sometimes we think we shouldn't talk about it. No, we should Don't be afraid to ask, are you thinking about suicide? If you're feeling unsafe in a relationship of any kind, please reach out immediately. Call or text these numbers now, right now, and then call us at church, because you're not alone. Here in this family, we wanna walk with you towards healing. Now see, the degree of urgency may vary for all of us, but we all, each of us need to flee for our lives. And let me tell you what that looks like today. We need, just like Elijah, to set boundaries. That's what it looks like, boundaries. We talk about that. We all need healthy boundaries between ourselves and harm. We need good boundaries around things that are good and life-giving. We need boundaries around our sense of self, and we need boundaries around things that don't belong to us. We need boundaries to know where we end and somebody else begins. This is called differentiation, very important. It's to say that you're actually, you may be close to your girlfriend, but you're not your girlfriend. Uh, You may be very involved in your resume, but you're not your resume. See, differentiate separates yourself from those other things or people. And we need healthy boundaries in every area of life. And we need boundaries around our work life. We need boundaries around our singleness and marriage. We need boundaries around our dating and family life. We need healthy boundaries around our time, around our money, around our technology, around our bodies. So let me tell you what happens if you don't have boundaries. If you don't have healthy boundaries, you're actually a threat to other people. And it's kind of humorous, but I mean, you're the one who is always taking somebody else's milk out of the fridge. Uh, you know, it's labeled and you don't ask and you just, you're guzzling it down as though it were your own. You're the one who steps onto a bus with your call on speakerphone or right there in the middle of the common room. Nobody else can have a conversation. It's all, all about you. Your interests are everybody's interests. You just assume that. Your problems are everybody's problems. And so you're constantly interrupting, you're controlling, you're using people. And this is Jezebel. She has a very low sense of differentiation. She doesn't know what a boundary is. She's running roughshod over Israel and burning people out. They're cooking. If you don't have healthy boundaries, you're not only just a threat to others, you're also a threat to yourself. Because you can't find the line between yourself and other things like your work or your relationships. When you can't do that, you bring your work home, you bring it to the dinner table, you bring it into the bedroom. 
or, or, or socially, you, you're tempted to try to manage the lives of your children and what college they get into is a reflection on, on you and so it becomes disproportionately imp- important to you. And what happens is when your work doesn't go well, you pass over for the promotion or there's a downturn or your friends turn away for a moment or your kids rebel, all of a sudden you're devastated because it's not just work or friends, it's you. You see, so you hurt yourself. And this is Ahab, by the way, who is so enmeshed with Jezebel that he runs roughshod over himself and he's burning himself out without boundaries. But Elijah, this is, notice Elijah, suddenly he realizes, uh-oh, I'm up against my limits. I have met my match. And I don't know what it is. It could be the trauma of the killing. It could be the thrill of the miracle, the pressure of success. You know, he's had this long run. If you know the story, he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. That's enough for me. Uh, or the fear of someone who's threatening his life. Jezebel now sends a messenger to say, you're next. Any of those things would make it clear that Elijah is against his limits. And what he does, consciously or not, he sets a boundary. He flees for his life. He crosses a border. He gets to the other side of Beersheba. And this is going to save his life. So I think Elijah has something to teach us about limits and and boundaries. What do we mean when we say limits and boundaries? See, a limit is a measure of capacity. A boundary is a line you draw around your capacity in order to protect it and maximize it. A limit is about who you are. A boundary is about what you do with who you are, what you won't do with who you are. Limit is a property, like a characteristic, but a boundary is a practice. It's something that you learn to do to maintain health. Limits are beyond our control, but boundaries are our responsibility. We all have limits, all of us. I know this hurts to admit as Americans, but we do. We have limits of time. We have limits of finance. We have limits of health. We have limits of family of origin. We have limits of personality, temperament. We have so many different kinds of limits, and there's nothing wrong with that except that it's hard sometimes to acknowledge. And so the question is, what boundaries will we draw around those limits? If you today are feeling a little bit fried after the last few years or even maybe the last month, I wonder what kind of boundaries, what healthy boundaries you need to draw in your life. Would you just think with me about that? Maybe you need to draw a boundary around your work. Maybe you need to create a boundary around some silence. This is what I'm trying to do, silence or solitude. Maybe you need to put a boundary around your screen time. Maybe you need to put a boundary around a difficult or invasive person. Not to cut them out of your life, but just to put them in a more distant orbit, I like to say. Yeah, they're still there, they're revolving around you, but you take responsibility for how much access or how close they get to you. The boundary. What I'm asking is, how will you this January slow down to be more present to God and to others, even to yourself. Would you, would you think about that? S- slow down. I know we're supposed to have New Year's resolutions and crank it, all, every good intention up. How about it just kind of dialing it all back and protecting that space with a good boundary? 
So, so mental and emotional wholeness require good boundaries. That's the second insight of the text. And the third is this. This is my last. Jesus meets us in our mental and emotional struggles. I love this about Jesus. Now catch this. It's going to take a second for you to get it. Uh, verse 4, the text tells us, Elijah came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. Just picture that tree. It's some kind of a scruffy juniper, probably a low, more like a bush, we might say, but one tree by itself. Solitary broom tree. And there's Elijah, the prophet, spent underneath it. Keep your eye on that tree. Because although anybody can set healthy boundaries, and yeah, I want to say this no matter where you are on your faith journey, you can do this, you can set a boundary. Uh, this week, and that, that's by the way the assignment. I should have said this earlier. Uh, to, to, to identify one boundary in your life uh, this week, write it down, share it with a friend, ask them to keep you honest, whatever it is. And that is something that you can do no matter where you are on your faith journey. You don't have to have any faith at all to 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 get healthy in this way. So I'd recommend this to you. But but there is something about setting healthy boundaries that it touches on a deeper spiritual issue. And I want to read this to you. Parker Palmer, he says, burnout is a state of emptiness. That's Parker Palmer. Now, you already know that, but here's what you might not know, and I didn't until I read this. He says, we usually think of burnout as giving too much, but Palmer argues that burnout comes from trying to give what I don't possess. You see that? See the difference? Trying to give energy I don't have, time I don't have, love I don't have. Palmer says it's the ultimate in giving too little. Wow. See, burnout merely reveals the nothingness, he writes, from which I was trying to give in the first place. Oh, that'll do it. The nothingness from which I was trying to give. What he says is we need a new way of being. Something existential needs to shift in our soul. And by the way, this is the argument of the Bible. This is the argument that the fundamental problem of humanity is this impulse to transcend our limits. Remember Genesis chapter two. The one rule in the Garden of Eden was not a moral principle or law at all. It was the one rule, the only rule was a reminder of our limitations. Do you remember? The tree. There it is. There's one lonely tree in the center of the garden. And the Lord says to the first man and woman, you may freely eat of every tree in that garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord is saying, I give you tremendous freedom. You can eat freely of every tree, but he does protect the goodness of that freedom with a limit, one tree. And this tree is a sign of God's authority over them. This tree is a constant reminder. In the center of the garden is a constant reminder of the intrinsic difference between a creature and the creator. It's a reminder that we have limits, that we're dependent on the one without limits. We, we sang earlier, uh, perfect in, what does it say? Power, love, and purity. This is the one on whom we depend. God is God, and we're not. And there's tremendous freedom in realizing that. Now, unfortunately, our, our forebears said this is not enough. Something's being withheld from us, they thought, and so they reached out 
to eat that fruit of that one tree, to try to transcend their limits, to be, quote, like God, to control what was not theirs, to control. And the moment they did, they began to die. See, this is the spiritual assessment of the root of our fatigue. The moment they did, they began to die under a solitary tree. This is why the Bible tells us that Elijah's despair is not just Elijah's despair. It's also Jezebel's and Ahab's. It's also yours and mine. This is the universal human condition. But, 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 one day, God himself came to a tree, a solitary tree, and God the Lord came as a man so that in the darkness of a garden he writhes in despair like those who come before and he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That's Jesus, Matthew 26. This is Jesus. The scripture tells us he was God and yet a man. He entered into the human condition fully. The scriptures tell us he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. Listen to his limitations. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But by his bruises we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, this is good news. Take my life, Jesus says, just like Elijah. In a strange way, the prophet points us to Jesus. And we put him on that tree and from the depths of despair on a solitary tree, our savior cries out like Elijah, like Naomi, like the psalmist, like St. Paul himself, like we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear that? Why does he say that? For the ages we've wondered, I think it's for two reasons. Number one, it's permission. It's permission to be honest about your mental and emotional struggles. If Jesus can do it, we can do it. We can be honest before God and we can be honest before one another about how hard it is when our minds and hearts don't seem to work right. The second reason I think he says it is to assure us, and this is even more important, that he is with us in the deepest places of our suffering. This is extraordinary that God would be with us. Yes, this is a moment that achieves forgiveness, the breaking of the power of evil, restoring the boundary around everything good, but that tree, despite our disobedience, is the proclamation that the creator of the universe has decided to be with his creatures in the deepest places of our pain. That cries the declaration that God is with you in your suffering. Why does Jesus cry out? Finally, so that all people, all times and all places can know that when we have faith in Jesus, we can know that we are not forsaken, that we will never be forsaken by God. A solitary broom tree, take my life. So when we're fried, the most important step is towards Jesus, towards Jesus. Step towards him with faith. This is the shift that Parker Palmer is talking about, moving from nothingness to fullness in Jesus Christ. Fullness, where we posture ourselves to receive the overflowing grace and generosity of God in Jesus Christ. A whole new way of being. 
It centers on him and there's such freedom. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I gotta remind myself of this every morning. There's such freedom when I wake up and I surrender like Elijah to the grace of God in Jesus. When I let God meet me in my brokenness, when I receive the gift of my own limitations and I give my life and I give each day to Jesus. Such freedom. Well, we have much more to say about this in the coming weeks. Uh, I would encourage you to be here, invite friends, share the links. Um, But here's what we're gonna discover. When we embrace the gift of limits, Jesus turns our limitations into gifts, into assets. Just remember, he took Abraham and Sarah's limit of age and infertility and turned them into a great nation. He took the limits of Moses' temper and slowness of speech and delivered that nation from slavery. He took Gideon's 300 soldiers and defeated 135,000 Midianites. He took Hosea's painful marriage and taught generations about God's amazing love. He took Mary's limits and made her the mother of God. That's what they say about her. He took the limits of five loaves and two fish and fed thousands. He took Peter's stubbornness and made him the rock on which he built the church. Jesus turned despair into hope, life into death, and he's doing it today for all who trust in him. So I wonder if we give ourselves to Jesus just what he might do with you and me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you invite us to come when we're weary, heavy laden, and find rest. Thank you for that incredible promise. We're here today because you knew we needed to receive that invitation. Now give us your Holy Spirit to help us to step into your arms. We pray in Christ's name.